Good evening. A judge in London bars the extradition of Julian Assange. Georgia's Senate runoff is down to the wire. And a new lockdown in London. Our parts of New York State next. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, January 4th, 2021. Facing a fast-spreading variant of the coronavirus, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced today a new national lockdown for England. The order comes even as Britain ramped up its own vaccination program. The UK is the first nation to use the Oxford University AstraZeneca vaccine. Scotland also joined Britain, imposing its own lockdown. And WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was back at the Old Bailey Criminal Court in London to hear the judge's ruling in the United States extradition request to face charges of conspiracy and espionage. Rebecca Miles files this report. Joining three dozen other reporters virtually logged on, Julian Assange sat in a glass dock in court two at the Old Bailey on Monday morning, wearing a navy blue suit and a mask, facing Judge Vanessa Baritza. The judge's ruling was not given on the validity of the indictment, but whether under the 2003 Extradition Act, the offences would be offences in the UK as well. She said she had no intention on reading the ruling out, all 135 pages, but would touch on some of the main arguments and said the 2003 Act ruled out extraditing for political offences, an argument made by Assange's defence team. The judge said that Assange's offer to help Chelsea Manning crack a password went far beyond the conduct of a journalist. That Assange could expect a fair trial in the U.S. under our U.S. constitutional protections, echoing many of the U.S. prosecutors' arguments made during the September hearings. The judge then had to consider whether it would be oppressive to extradite Assange. She said she'd accepted defense witness Dr. Michael Kupperman's opinion that Assange suffers from recurrent depressive disorder and that he'd remained clinically depressed at Her Majesty's prison, Belmarsh, and considered a risk of suicide, adding, quote, the overall impression is of a depressed and at times despairing person, end quote. She added she'd considered the evidence on potential conditions in U.S. prisons, that he would likely be sent to ADX Florence on conviction, a supermax prison in Colorado, and held under special administrative measures and be held in serious isolation because the case, quote, was open because it related to one of the largest compromises of classified information in the history of the United States, end quote. That Sam's regime, she added, are to minimise communications and prisoners have extreme limitations and these conditions are considered by all experts to have deleterious impact on Assange's mental health. Judge Barista then said, quote, I'm satisfied that Mr Assange has the intent to circumvent suicidal prevention measures and I accept Dr Koppelman's testimony that Assange would be single-minded in suicidal ideation. Therefore, I rule it. It would be unjust to extradite Mr. Assange. The U.S. has the right to appeal, end quote. Assange was indicted in 2019 on 17 counts of violating the espionage for obtaining and publishing secret military and diplomatic documents and later charged with violating the Computers Fraud and Abuse Act. The indictment so far hasn't been withdrawn. Rebecca Miles, WBAI Pacifica Radio, New York. And Assange will be back in court on Wednesday following a bail request, as U.S. lawyers said they would file an appeal. And WBAI listeners may remember 
Our programmer, Lynn Stewart, a beloved programmer here at WBAI, was herself in prison for violating the SAMs that were just mentioned for a client who was held in a supermax prison. We're going to return to this story later in the newscast, that of the Assange story. And with a key runoff election in Georgia that could decide control of the United States Senate, there was plenty of reactions to the release of phone transcripts apparently showing President Trump pressuring Georgia's Republican Secretary of State to find enough votes to overturn Joe Biden's win in the state's presidential election. The one-hour-long phone call on Saturday with Secretary of State Brad Raffin had Trump begging the official, I just want to find 11,780 votes. Trump lost Georgia by 11,779 votes. The call has added to the bitter divide over the election outcome among Republicans, with conservative Senator Tom Cotton today saying he would not object to Wednesday's official count of the electoral votes, usually a formality, but today fraught with controversy as millions of Americans falsely believe the election was stolen in large part due to Trump's continuing false statements about the outcome. Trump threatened Cotton, tweeting, Republicans never forget. Meanwhile, Raffensperger, a conservative Republican in his own right, held a news conference today, systematically debunking Trump's allegations of voter fraud in the state and begging voters to turn out for tomorrow's election vote. If you want your values reflected by your elected officials, I strongly beg and encourage you, go vote tomorrow. Do not let anybody discourage you. Do not self-suppress your own vote. Do not make a self-fulfilling prophecy out of doing this. Don't let anybody steal your vote that way. And that's what's happening. If you, if you self-suppress, you're, t- you're taking away your important voice from this election. Trump and President-elect Joe Biden are both in Georgia making last-minute speeches. The GOP Senate candidates are David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. The Democrats are Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Journalist Zach Roberts is in Atlanta. He spoke with WBAI about today's events and his predictions for tomorrow's election. One of the most dangerous things I think that I've been seeing over on Twitter and on social media is that people are lauding uh, Brad Raffensperger as some sort of, you know, election hero and the fact that he ha- he didn't decide to commit a federal crime for a president who clearly has lost the election and that even if Brad Raffensperger did overturn the Georgia election would still lose because he would have to then overturn Pennsylvania and also Michigan and maybe another state. We can't do this. This man has purged hundreds of thousands of voters from the election rolls, mostly black and Hispanic and you know, likely Democratic voters. And he has done this time and time again. His, his uh, secretary of state before him, Brian Kemp, who's now governor, is also not a hero because he's been standing up to Trump. We have to keep our eye on the ball on for the long-term longe- the longevity of election integrity, making sure that these men aren't lauded as heroes as they literally have been investigating groups like the NAACP and the ACLU because what they've been doing is is actually registering voters. And that's not something that um, the Secretary of State wants. He doesn't want to deal with it, and he doesn't want to have to, like, do this more so because we don't even just have Brad Raffensperger trying to screw with the elections and stop likely Democratic voters from, from actually voting. We have people like the Board of Commissioners in Cobb County. It's one of the counties right outside of Fulton. 
heavily African-American populated area voters. And like we have seen four hour long lines in early voting because what they did was is that they closed down multiple early voting locations, all of them, every single one of them in African-American neighborhoods. Not a single early voting center was closed in white neighborhoods in Cobb County. What we have is across the board in, in the state of Georgia is voter suppression, just like we did before. The only way that uh, the Americans who want to vote can vote is that we, we have to continue this fight just because the election is over and just because Joe Biden is going to be hopefully <laughs> inaugurated as long as January 6th in Washington, D.C. doesn't turn, turn us into a civil having a civil war is that we have to keep our focus and make sure that we know that, hey, look, at if Warnock ends up winning here in, in Georgia, he's got an election in two more years. The vote does not stop on election day. We have to keep and we have to keep marching <laughs> and keep fighting no matter what. Do black people in America have the right to determine an election? They may have a right to vote, but they don't have the right to determine an election in a white country like this. If you talk to a lot of Trump supporters, and I do, (laughs) is that they don't believe that even though over 80 million people voted for Joe Biden, 90 was a 98 percent, 94 percent of them African-American, high numbers of, of Hispanic, high numbers of Asian voters. The fact that white America doesn't believe, a lot of white America doesn't believe that those votes count, it seems, it shouldn't be a surprise. This is the extension of white supremacy in America, and it is having a complete nervous breakdown right now. Even though the white guy won, still, it doesn't matter is because he's the guy that will at least do some level of representation for other people in, in America. And I don't see this changing anytime soon when it comes to the 40 percent of voting America that still believes that Donald Trump won the election, even though all evidence shows otherwise. It's definitely not shocking to me. I've been covering this for too long. I didn't think it was going to be anything different. The delusion has seeped deep into the psyche of the Republican Party. And the idea that anything's going to change over the next two years, four years, not only do I not think that Donald Trump is going to go away in any real way, but even if he did go away, there's immediately people that are stepping up to take on the mantle. Unfortunately, many of them are already sitting senators and Congress people. Trump is uh, tonight coming to Georgia, and he's going to a district that voted for a person who professes a complete belief in QAnon, in the conspiracy theory that Democrats are doing these horrible things with children and there's lizard people and there's all these other things. These people are sitting in Congress now. We have to keep on keep on paying attention to it. We can't go to the metaphorical brunch once Joe Biden is inaugurated. You have to mm-hmm. get your margaritas to go or something. <laughs> Who do you think is going to win briefly? Tomorrow? Oh, God. I have a very controversial thing that I think it's going to be a split vote. I think that Warnock is going to win and and that David Perdue will win. Journalist Zach Roberts, he works with Greg Palast following stories about election fairness. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The House adopted a new set of rules for the 117th Congress in a 217-206 party line vote on Monday with provisions to extend remote voting during the pandemic, protect whistleblowers and limit the minority's ability to amend legislation on the floor. It includes language that would make significant changes and deny Republicans procedural tools to force Democrats from conservative districts to make 
public controversial votes, highlighting divisions in the Democratic Party. The GOP called it a power grab. Brooklyn Representative Hakeem Jeffries addressed uh, the issues Wednesday. He, he addressed the uh, pardon me. He addressed the Wednesday vote that's coming up to uh, decide who's you know the final decision yet again uh, to decide uh, the Electoral College. Um, you know who's president of the United States. I know it's very confusing. It's confusing to all of us. Um, Hakeem Jeffries spoke. Electoral College has spoken. Look at the yield back to the chairman. Thank you. Questions? Thanks, sir. So we know that there are a number of senators and House members that are Republicans that are going to object um, tomorrow to the certification of the Electoral College for your comments on, on their actions. The voters have spoken. The Electoral College has spoken. The courts have spoken. Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States of America, notwithstanding the delusional fantasies of some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And that's Brooklyn Representative Hakeem Jeffries. In a culture wars move, one provision of the new House rules orders the use of gender neutral language in the House rules, including pronouns and references to familial relationships like father, son, mother or daughter. And as reported earlier by Rebecca Miles, a British judge ruled on Monday that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange should not be extradited to the United States to face espionage and computer crime charges. The judge didn't rule against the U.S. extradition request, but ruled Assange was a suicide risk in blocking the request. Despite the judge's rationalization, the scene outside the Old Bailey in London was festive, but there were few illusions about the struggle ahead. The United States are going to appeal this decision. And so the decision will be taken to a higher court, I expect. And we will have to fight this fight all over again. Do celebrate that the American prison system is so bad that even this judge wouldn't send Julian Assange into it. That's, That's where we stand. That's the scene today outside the Old Bailey in London. Assange's fiancée, Stella Morris Smith, says there's a long way to go before she can celebrate. I had hoped that today would be the day that Julian would come home. Today is not that day, but that day will come soon. As long as Julian has to endure suffering and isolation as an unconvicted prisoner in Belmarsh Prison, and as long as our children continue to be bereft of their father's love and affection, we cannot celebrate. We will celebrate the day he comes home. Today is a victory for Julian. Yes. Yes. Today's victory is the first step towards justice in this case. Thank you for coming. We will never accept that journalism is a crime in this country or any other. 
not forget that U.S. agents plotted to kill Julian on British soil. His British solicitors were deliberately targeted by name and their documents were stolen. Their illegal operations even targeted our six-month-old baby. It is sickening and it is also a threat to everyone. And that's Assange's fiancée, Stella Morris-Smith, today in London. The U.S. charges, worth 135 years against Assange, has had journalists worldwide on the edge of their seats. Much of the accusations against the WikiLeaks founder could easily be used to criminalize the everyday activity of most reporters, who often leak secrets held dear by governments as part of their jobs. A former vice chairman and general counsel of the New York Times and the author of Fighting for the Press, the Inside Story of the Pentagon Papers and Other Battles is James Goodall. What happened today is that a, an old Bailey judge decided that the U.K. would not send Julian Assange from the U.K. to the U.S. The law that applies here would be U.S. law as applied to Assange in a U.S. court, not U.K. law applied in a U.K. court to Assange, who, by the way, is Australian. So the only thing that the judge was doing was decide, deciding, shall I send him out of here to a different country so he can be tried? That's the only thing she was deciding. And therefore, she had to decide whether the law that provides for his movement, which is called extradition, fits. And did it in this case? She decided that in 100,000 pages, and I'm on page 95, that the law fits in terms of putting him back to the United States, but he's at risk of suicide because of the prison situation which would face him should he come back to the United States and be convicted, which namely would put him in solitary confinement for 135 years, and she decided he would be at risk of suicide, and therefore she could not, in good conscience, send her back over here. I'd rather be convicted of murder in a state prison in Alabama than uh, espionage in the federal court in the United States because of the severity of the punishment. Yeah. Now, if this happened in Great Britain, the maximum time Assange would get would be two years. But under the Espionage Act, he gets 132 years. So, you know, that's in the back of the judge's mind. The government brings a case under the wrong law, in my humble opinion, and gets it in their face. And they deserve it. What is the impact of this decision, and what might have been the impact? The impact of the decision on all publishers, including the New York Times and the Washington Post, is they do not have to face the possibility that the courts will decide that when they publish classified information, they're going to have to go to jail. That was what was going to happen if this case went forward and if Assange lost. That possibility has never happened in the history of the United States. Publishers do not go to jail in the United States. Had Assange lost, that would be a distinct possibility. Anything you'd like to add? The judge has a huge decision which people are going to get into and it's highly favorable to the U.K. and to the United States, generally speaking. 
but I would tell the public, do not be led astray by the decision of a U.K. judge as to what she thinks is wrong with what WikiLeaks did, and she thinks there's a lot wrong with it. Forget that, and then instead celebrate the fact that Assange is not coming to this country, and we are therefore relieved of the possibility of criminal sanctions against the press. That's a great, great relief for all of us. Uh, s- secrets are, are going to be less easy to, uh, to keep. You'll never have any... Well, here's the, but here's the thing. But, you know, well, why shouldn't the government protect us by classifying their secrets and making sure no one gets them? That's not what happens. What happens is the government classifies everything. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of classified documents that include some secrets, but mostly non-secrets. And what the government is trying to do is protect its ability to control the information. We don't want the government to keep all the information to itself. Otherwise, we don't know what they're doing. So that's what's a risk here. James Goodall is former vice chairman and general counsel of The New York Times. He's the author of Fighting for the Press, the inside story of the Pentagon Papers and other battles. And in New York, Governor Cuomo had more warnings today about the coronavirus still ravaging the state in a second wave of infections. He warned the Finger Lakes region could be facing a lockdown as hospital bed capacity is being increasingly strained. He also extended the groups of workers with priority for the vaccine, saying fraud allegations regarding the vaccine are also under investigation. The next groups uh, that are open today for availability uh, who are now eligible to receive the vaccine are all doctors, nurses, healthcare staff who come into contact with the public. Uh, We're following federal guidance at this point which is working down the list of what we call 1A, the first priority in vaccinations. Uh, It's primarily health care workers, which makes sense. Health care workers are the people who are in the uh, greatest danger of uh, contracting the virus because they're dealing with people who come in uh, who have the virus. Also, if a health care worker gets infected, they can infect more people uh, than probably any other worker. You know, if you have a, a, a nursing home staff or a nurse or a doctor who's infected, they're dealing with uh, dozens, hundreds of people. Uh, they would be a super spreader in and of themselves. So uh, we're making 1A uh, basically all healthcare workers are going to be uh, eligible today, and that is uh, the first priority. And as Governor Cuomo, in New York City, health workers in the city, including a nurse in Queens who got the first shot in the country, began receiving a second and final dose of the COVID-19 vaccine on Monday. Mayor Bill de Blasio in his news briefing today added that hesitancy by some to take the shot is waning, but he put off taking the vaccine himself because he says others are more deserving. What I think is important is that people see there'll be fairness and and equality in the way that the vaccine is provided. So there are folks who deserve it and need it more than me. Our first responders, our healthcare heroes, our seniors in nursing homes and the folks who work with them, all of our essential workers and folks who are older and have pre-existing conditions. 
Uh, my view is the best thing to do is defer to those who need it most. And when my time comes, then I'm certainly going to be very public about it. But there's a lot of people already, starting with the president-elect, who have shown folks in this whole city, this whole country, that it's safe. I think that message is being sent you know, loud and clear. Mayor Bill de Blasio, as part of its vaccination campaign, the city said it plans on doubling its current vaccination capacity. As of Monday, there are 125 vaccination sites across the city. By the end of the week, they plan on 160 sites to be available for the vaccine and 250 sites by the end of the month. And that's some of the news for January 4th, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry and Rebecca Miles, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. For the WBAI News, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.